Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 21 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I am Nick Grisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram and Twitter. Website is fantasylawguy.com. Today's episode mid round wide receiver. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs. Who the hell is Mel Kite? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep trickling the ball down the field, boy. I saw it, son. I saw Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Jacksonville Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette has been released by the team. He's been cut. And if you subscribe to this podcast, this news may not be that shocking to you. And you also certainly have not drafted Leonard Fournette on your fantasy football teams. And I'll refer you to episode 14 of this very podcast, AFC Players to Avoid, when Fournette was one of my top players on that episode that we should be avoiding in drafts. And I went on a five-minute spiel about why that is. And I'm going to, I found the quote that is relevant. And I'm going to open today's podcast with that quote in case you are new to tuning in here. I said on August 6th, that the Jaguars have actively tried to shop Leonard Fournette at the NFL draft, and they couldn't find any takers. And Leonard Fournette could be traded at midseason like for like a seventh-round swap, a salary dump. And it also wouldn't shock me if the tanking Jaguars just released him outright. And despite all that uncertainty and all those red flags, Fournette is still going 28th overall in drafts. That's round three. And, and I, for one, do not want to be spending my third-round pick on somebody who could easily be phased out of this offense. And I think Leonard Fournette's ADP is totally bewildering. It's just wild to me. So if you are subscribed to this podcast and following my draft board on FantasyLawGuy.com, you came nowhere close to even remotely considering Leonard Fournette in your fantasy draft. So you can pat yourself on the back. You don't have to worry about that chaos from his from Fournette getting cut today and while the victory lap is nice you know all that being said if fantasy karma works the way that I think it works Fournette will likely be signed by some team who's running back I've highly touted on my board to go just screw up that backfield like I don't want him in Pittsburgh or Houston based on my board because that would be devastating for James Conner and David Johnson who I already have a lot of exposure to and I'm advising the same I've heard Kansas City and Chicago are, could be likely destinations there. Kansas City to pair with Clyde edwards helaire Nobody really wants that either. And Chicago because David Montgomery got hurt, which we'll get to in a second. So despite really dodging the bullet of taking Leonard Fournette early in your fantasy drafts, I'm somewhat worried about the ripple effect, You know how it's going to screw up my board otherwise, and where he goes is the main ramification of this news because he's going to get signed. But the backs behind Leonard Fournette and Jacksonville, they're not exactly 
you know, let's scramble to the waiver wire, drop everything right now, and blow all our fab money on these guys. You know, I'm expecting kind of a running back by committee between Chris Chris Thompson and Rockwell Armstead. And I somewhat actually doubled down on Fournette kind of being a bust because I actually listed Chris Thompson as my number two deep sleeper in my draft guide. And I think now his ADP will climb in PPR leagues to where he's just a regular sleeper. And I define deep sleeper in my draft guide for purposes of that section as players with ADPs after pick 200. And it's safe to say that Chris Thompson is going to climb up probably to the, like the 130s, I would say. He'll be a popular you know, zero RB target or popular late round running back pick because the opportunity is there to be the passing down back in Jacksonville. And the Jaguars, I'll, I'll just kind of rehash what I said about Chris Thompson in my draft guide because it applies even more now. The Jaguars brought in new offensive coordinator Jay Gruden, who is historically one of the most pass-happy offensive coordinators in the NFL. And Chris Thompson is a pass-catching specialist who's played with, under Jay Gruden in his offense for five seasons in the past. And the Jaguars signed Chris Thompson after hiring Gruden, and Fournette caught 75 passes last season, but he was among the least efficient pass catchers in the NFL. And the Jaguars may be the worst team in the league. Like their Vegas over-under win total is set at a league-low 4.5 wins. So this is a team that will be trailing early and often, which could make for frequent and quality garbage time production. And if, if Thompson is this team's passing down back over Fournette, which now that's a near certainty as long as Thompson can stay healthy, he'll be a huge sleeper in PPR formats. So Raquel Armstead is the lead candidate to get early, get work on early downs. So I think they'll kind of form a RBBC there. And I think I'd prefer Armstead in non-PPR formats and probably Thompson in PPR formats. Again, neither is somebody that I'm just scrambling to get. I also think that this helps Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark and the other receiving options in Jacksonville just a smidge, like LaVisca Chenault, Tyler Eifert. The, the trickle-down effect right there affects them because the Jaguars look like they're going to be throwing like 40 times a game this year, especially now that Fournette's gone. So um, I'll, I'll move on to the next bit of news. We have a lot to cover today. Jalen Rager, rookie wide receiver, Philadelphia. He's going to be out four weeks with a shoulder injury that will not require surgery. And this is unfortunate because I listed Rager as a sleeper in my wide receiver sleeper section. I actually drafted him on a few teams already. And you'll kind of have to stash him away on IR if you have as well. And we'll see if Alshon Jeffrey avoids the PUP. Uh, Based on what I've heard, he is not supposed to be ready for the regular season. But he may miss only three or four games as opposed to six if he lands on the pup list. And it's kind of annoying, or this is all kind of annoying for Carson Wentz drafters, that his receivers just keep dropping like flies dating back to last season. But it does help my number one receiver on my draft guide, which ahead of Jalen Rager, who I've drafted on like every team so far. Do I have 100% exposure? I don't know. I think I have 100% exposure to Deshaun Jackson. There might be one league that I did not end up landing DJX. And I love Deshaun Jackson this year. And you can see in my write-up, number one sleeper wide receiver there. And Jackson posted eight catches, 154 receiving yards, and two touchdowns in, in a wide receiver one finish on the week, in week one, before kind of succumbing to a growing and core injury in week two that forced him to miss 
basically all the rest of the season, except for, save like 14 snaps. And had Jackson been able to stay healthy, I think he would have had a very productive season as the number one target in this Eagles offense. And I think his ADP would be closer to like round six than round 13, which is where it is now. And again, Alshon Jeffrey may start the season on the pup list, forcing him to miss the first six games of the year. Jalen Rager is a rookie. He's already missed time because of COVID. They've had the shortened offseason, but now he's going to miss even more time with the shoulder injury that he sustained. Marquise Goodwin opted out for the 2020 season, and Carson Wentz is a good quarterback with a lively arm, and Deshaun Jackson is familiar with the offense, and I think his spiked weeks can kind of win matchups. And I also think that the Eagles showed how valuable Deshaun Jackson is based on their refusal to release him in a hot political climate after his anti-Semitic remarks this offseason. So at age 34, you know, I know Jackson's likely to miss time at some point. He's probably not going to stay healthy for the season. But we saw in week one last year when he posted like 35 PPR points, he was electric when he was healthy. And I think he's going to be a very usable wide receiver three or flex option right out the gate, you know, until he gets hurt. And he's going, I mean, his Yahoo rankings like 195th overall. And I think it's 125 on ESPN. But either way, I think Deshaun Jackson is a tremendous value late in your drafts. I've been picking him like on every team I can. So moving on, this looks like bad news for my draft guide. And this is probably an oversight on my part. Alvin Kamara has missed the last four days of practice for undisclosed reasons. And he's entering the final year of his contract. He also cryptically tweeted like two weeks ago on Twitter. He said, Quote, I'm sorry in advance. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. So the speculation is that he could be holding out. So I'm going to be sliding him down on my draft board for some precautionary reasons there. And this is the same worry for Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon as well, who are also entering the final year of their deals, and we will have to hope that this doesn't carry over into the regular season or that the Saints can extend Kamara the same way they did with Michael Thomas uh, right before the season last season. So yeah, definitely not something you want to be reading right before the season, and I definitely probably should have factored that in, taken that into account, knowing that I did so with Dalvin Cook, knowing that I did so with Joe Mixon. It was an oversight on my part not to factor that into Alvin Kamara's ranking on my board. I'm still probably going to slot him at probably fifth overall until this holdout situation ends. Uh, but if I get more news that, hey, this is he really might bring into the regular season, obviously I'll make adjustments after that, moving him down even further. But for now, I'll be cautiously optimistic and hope that he can get signed before the season. So let's move on to Miles Sanders. He's reportedly dealing with a mid-tier hamstring strain. Not mild, not severe, but in the middle. That's how it was described by the Philly beat writers. He's going through some limited motions in Eagles training camp right now. I think he's going to be, I think I'm going to be moving him down a couple spots on my draft board as well because I'm. it's a little worrisome only 10, 10 days away from the start of the regular season that Sanders is still dealing with this hamstring issue. And I am pretty overly cautious with injuries before the season. And speaking of that, David Montgomery David injured his growing muscle. This is a lot last bit of news today. And it was the first thought to be very severe. Fantasy Twitter was just totally flipping out because it looked like a season ender, 
like a knee injury when he went down. But it's just a growing, and he should be out two to four weeks. And I think Montgomery will be a fast healer. Like, I think he's going to be out there by like week two, maybe week three at the latest. But he could be limited. Like, he might not be full, full strength or fully healthy for four weeks. And it might affect his workload. And I, I liked Montgomery to have a bounce-back season before this news. And I had drafted him on two teams already, I think in like round five. And he spent all offseason kind of working on his speed, which is good news because he was slow as a rookie. He broke a lot of tackles with his strength, but he struggled to evade NFL defenders just because he wasn't fast enough. So he set out to change his diet, focus on his speed. He lost a lot of body fat, according to his trainer. And he you know gained like a tenth on his 40 time. Or I should say he lost a tenth on his 40 time either way. But ultimately, I thought there was just going to be value to being the guy for the Bears. Like even in a disastrous situation last season, we know he's getting goal line. We know he can catch. And I thought getting those 275, 300 total touches in round five was really nice. I had, I had, him, I had Montgomery initially ranked above Leonard Fournette, above Todd Gurley, above Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, even above Chris Carson. Like all those rounds, three or four backs. Like why was I going to take them if I could get Montgomery in round five, who I saw Montgomery is slightly higher than. The only ones that I didn't have Montgomery over was James Conner and David Johnson, obviously. But now I think he's really tough to pick with the injury Montgomery is. Like we don't know if the Bears are going to sign somebody. They might sign Leonard Fournette. So I think he's less of a fifth rounder now Montgomery is and more like a ninth rounder that you – Hope to get his running back depth, and you hope that he stays healthy, doesn't have any setbacks, and then can retake, reclaim his role as the Bears' primary running back. Okay, so that is all the major news. Before we talk about mid-round wide receivers, I do have a question. It's on fantasylawguy.com. There's a section at the bottom where you can ask or pose your fantasy questions, and I will do my best to answer them on the shows. This first one is from Winston. From Boston, Massachusetts, at Winston on Wilson. He says, who are your favorite late breakout predictions? Who is being drafted in round five or later? Who is going to go much higher in next year's fantasy drafts? That is a question. That is a great question. And I'm going to stay on brand in today's episode here and focus on mid, mid-round mid receivers. I have two answers for this question. If you've read my draft board, you likely know where this is going. The first breakout candidate is Marquise Brown, wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. And Marquise Brown spent his rookie offseason recovering from a Liz Frank injury that he suffered in college. And you can even make the argument that it was the only reason that Brown slipped to the Ravens at like 25th overall in the NFL draft last year because he was such a baller in college. And he was questionable going into week one, not having practice during the week leading up to the opening game because of this injury. So this is something that affected him all offseason last year. But he exploded in week one. Nevertheless, he dropped four catches, 147 yards, and two touchdowns on Miami in week one. And he only played 14 snaps. And Brown was decent in weeks two through five before exiting with an ankle injury in week five that sidelined him for two games. And he was never really the same after that from a production standpoint. He cleared 50 receiving yards just once in his final eight games. And the Ravens were limiting his snaps. According to Hayden Weeks, Marquise Brown only played three games with above a 75% plus snap share. In most of these games, he was receiving like 40% of the team's snaps. And after he returned from the injury, 
Brown saw just 14.6% of the team's target share after receiving 23.2% of the Ravens' targets over the first five games. That's according to Matt Schaff of DraftSharks.com. 23.2% of a team's targets is a very high number. That is alpha wide receiver numbers right there. And Brown's target share in this offense could be enormous. That was when he was coming off the Liz Frank injury in Again, only played 14 snaps in week one. The Ravens still were targeting him on 23% of the targets in the first five games before his ankle issue. And the reason his target share could be so substantial is because the Ravens wide receiver death chart behind Marquise Brown is arguably the worst in the NFL. The team's second and third receivers are like Miles Boykin and Willie Sneed. Jeez Louise, what is that? And the team traded Hayden Hurst, which frees up about 40 targets. And this passing offense will just live through Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. And Baltimore is a team that's set to pass far more often this season. Despite leading the NFL in touchdowns, passing, Lamar Jackson threw less than any starting quarterback who played 14 or more games last year. He was dead last in attempts for quarterbacks playing 14 or more games. And the reason is because the Ravens were consistently having positive game scripts. The Ravens were always winning. They were only tra- the Ravens only trailed on 19% of their offensive snaps last year. 19% were they facing a negative game script. And we can safely expect that number to increase by sheer law of averages, by regression alone in 2020. And Lamar Jackson will have to throw more. And we saw a glimpse of that when Baltimore was trailing against Tennessee in the playoffs when Marquise Brown posted 11 targets, 7 catches for 126 yards when he had a bye week to you know get his body a little more healthy. And Brown, again, was not fully recovered from the Liz Frank injury last year, and he battled ankle injuries for most of the season so we can just kind of throw away last season as a wash. We only saw glimpses of his speed and playmaking ability. And Coach Harbaugh confirmed this. He said that Marquise Brown was not 100% for most of the year, and that was pretty obvious, right? He's a huge piece of what we're doing, and this offense fits him so well. Brown himself has made the same statements publicly, stating all offseason that he wasn't anywhere close to 100% last year and that he can't wait to be released this season. And Lamar Jackson has shared this sentiment. He said that a healthy Hollywood Brown is going to open up a huge piece of their offense and that Jackson and Harbaugh have mentioned that the Ravens are focused on improving their deep passing game this offseason. And Marquise Brown played at only 157 pounds last year, and Brown has trained like a madman this offseason and has reportedly gained 15 pounds of muscle while not losing his speed. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Work out. He had Baltimore send him a GPS tracker to ensure he wasn't losing his speed. Good job. Keep up the pace. And the reports of his offseason have been glowing by his coaches, his teammates, and his quarterback. They're all expecting an explosive second season, including Brown himself. And speaking of his quarterback, Lamar Jackson is his quarterback. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Perhaps the best playmaker in the NFL, the league's MVP. And Brown is the clear-cut number one wide receiver for the league's most valuable player last year. And yet he's still so affordable 
in fantasy drafts. He's going on average at wide receiver 33 in round seven of fantasy drafts. I think Brown could be a league winner this season. And I'm making it a priority to aggressively reach a round or two ahead of ADP to secure Brown in my drafts. I think he could have a huge breakout season. And then the other player that I love this year, very similar ADP to Brown and very similar player is Will Fuller. And and they're so similar that I want to address the elephant in the room first. And that is, can these guys stay healthy? Because these speedy deep threats, they tend to get hurt at a much higher rate than most receivers. And they typically struggle to play a full season. And when they do get hurt, it's kind of a double whammy because it's more impactful. Because these types of wide receivers usually can't win in other ways. Like when Michael Thomas gets hurt, let's say like a hamstring pull or a high ankle sprain that he plays through. When Michael Thomas plays through an injury, he can still beat you with his size. He can still win jump balls in the end zone. He can still you know, outbody you, use his physicality, and win in contested catch situations. He can still spot, find the soft spot of the zone on crossing routes over the middle. Back shoulder fades. Still be a touchdown threat. But when these smaller, one-dimensional, speedy wide receivers get nicked up, the injury usually saps their speed, and that's their primary weapon. So just, there goes their explosiveness. There goes their effectiveness. And they just can't adapt because that's where all their productiveness in fantasy football comes from. And we've seen it so many times. Deshaun Jackson, I just talked about him for so many years, can't stay healthy, couldn't stay healthy last year. T.Y. Hilton last year, hamstring issues all year long. Marquise Brown, Will Fuller themselves, and especially with Will Fuller, you know, drafters are avoiding him because they don't trust him to stay healthy. And for good reason, right? Like Will Fuller has battled three hamstring strains, a broken collarbone, fractured ribs, a 2018 torn ACL, and a sports hernia surgery in January. But despite all that, fantasy football is not about risk aversion. You don't win your league without taking risk. Fantasy football is about creating a weekly advantage. And a lot of people who scoff at Picking Will Fuller or avoid him, just assume that you're automatically going to get zeros when Fuller's not active. But you can always replace Will Fuller with somebody else when he's hurt. And that's important because when Will Fuller is on the field, he's a true difference maker and he can win you your week single-handedly. According to Evan Silva, in Will Fuller's last 16 games in which he received at least two targets in, so the games he didn't exit early, his healthy games, Fuller's receiving line is 82 catches, 1,237 yards, and seven touchdowns. And that was with target hog DeAndre Hopkins there, present on the field. Will Fuller averaged a 24% target share in 10 full games last year and 22% in 2017. Reminder, he missed most of 2018 with the torn ACL. So coming off the torn ACL in 10 full games last season, Will Fuller 24% target share. I said earlier that 24% target share is elite. And again, that extremely heavy target share and that great usage was with DeAndre Hopkins on this team. And Deshaun Watson's splits with and without Will Fuller are stark. They've always had a great connection. Deshaun Watson plays way better when Will Fuller is on the field. It could be one reason why the Texans were okay with giving up and trading DeAndre Hopkins. 
And this year's target competitions include two newcomers at wide receiver, Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb, who did not get anywhere close to a full offseason to establish the chemistry and rapport with Deshaun Watson that Will Fuller already has. The Texans have no defense. They project to feel one of the league's worst defensive units, and they play their home games indoors. This is a situation that is ripe for shootouts, and it's ripe for garbage time production with Deshaun Watson, who historically has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL when trailing. And Deshaun Watson is another great reason to buy Will Fuller this year. He's a great quarterback with a great deep ball. And Will Fuller spent this entire offseason training based on the one goal of playing 16 games. You can look it up. All he's talking about is playing 16 games. Everything he did this offseason was in an effort to revamp his training and figure out how to stay healthy which is very convenient because, of course, Will Fuller is entering a contract year, and there's no more DeAndre Hopkins, and I want Will Fuller on my teams this year. And he's going right next to Marquise Brown at wide receiver 32. His ranking on Yahoo is 78th overall, which I think is ridiculously attractive. And if I can land Will Fuller or Marquise Brown in round seven of my drafts, I'm elated. Like I feel like I just got the break of the century. I'm usually sweating out that pick. If I wait till round seven and it's like, man, I am just sitting there just watching teams pass on them one by one, just hoping that they're not going to take them. It is a real, it's one of my biggest sweats in all of fantasy this year. If not my biggest, just hoping Will Fuller or Marquise Brown make it to me in like late round six, early round seven. And maybe, you know, they don't last until week three, but I don't really care because both these guys have sky high upside and they could both blow up this year and I want them on my teams I don't want to be playing against them I have them ranked both Fuller and Brown I have them ranked like 30 spots higher on my board than where they're going and I consider them both easy top 20 wide receivers in my rankings and I'm higher on Marquise Brown and Will Fuller than almost every expert I've seen I have absolutely no problem with taking either Marquise Brown or Will Fuller as my number two wide receiver on my teams because I just think there's just such tremendous values in drafts. And they're two of my favorite picks in all of fantasy football this year. And honestly, it, their ADPs, their draft costs, and their potential is one of the big reasons why I'm waiting to take receivers. Because I know I can land at least one of these guys in round six and seven. So that's the answer to my question, Winston. Uh, I hope that helps. Let's talk about some wide receivers who were going before Hollywood Brown and Will Fuller. In my last episode, I discussed early round strategy, and I want to be driving the point home that this year you want to be targeting running backs early because there's a steep drop-off after round three. Specifically, I believe that drop-off comes after James Conner and David Johnson. And if you're following my draft board, you're very likely ending up with one of those two running backs in round three, maybe the other in round four if they make it. But you're also, if you're following my draft board, you're likely to go running back in round one as well. And round two is a mixed bag because you could easily end up with a round two running back like Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, but you could also end up with studs at other positions like Devontae Adams or George Kittle or Julio Jones, Travis Kelsey, maybe even Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson late in round two. But either way, it's likely that you're coming out of round four with either three running backs by going RB, 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 and then Mark Andrews tight end in round four, or 
you go running back and then maybe like a George Kittle or Devontae Adams and then running back James Conner. Maybe you get David Johnson in round four. Maybe you don't. And maybe you take Mark Andrews in round four. If you don't have Kittle, maybe you don't. But no matter your structure, you know, at this point after round four, you likely have at least two running backs. And we have to drive that point home. We have to have at least two running backs by the end of round four. You probably, if you follow my draft guide, have three running backs. And I think that's where optimally you should be. And using my board, it's just unlikely that you have taken your wide receiver one yet unless it's Devontae Adams or Julio Jones in round two, which is obviously a great scenario. But there, long story short, there are several scenarios. But once David Johnson... James Conner, Mark Andrews, go off the board. Like, let's say that near the end of round four, you probably have zero or maybe one wide receiver on your team. And that is by design because the position is loaded this year and rounds five through seven are flooded with talent wide receiver, which gives you the opportunity to stack running backs before the drop-off and to grab an elite tight end before even addressing a wide receiver. And that's great because there's this massive pack of wide receivers that are so jumbled closely together it's really tough to rank wide receivers 5 through 27. It's like that big of a tier. I, I honestly consider them all one big tier, and it looks that way on my draft board. They're all just right next to each other. Just wide receivers just constantly in a row, like 20 in a row. You know, you mix in like Zach Ertz and maybe the Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson in there, but it's mostly wide receivers for like two or three rounds on my draft board. And, and they're all getting drafted at different spots. But to me, the argument can be made that almost any of them can finish top 10, top 12. Or you can also make the argument that those same receivers will finish outside the top 20. That's one of the reasons why I have them so jumbled together. And I actually have a lot of wide receivers who are going you know, in rounds 5 and 6 ranked higher than the wide receivers going in like rounds 3 and 4. So instead of just going one by one in order on my draft board, I thought it would be better in today's episode if we briefly cover the wide receivers who I'm higher on than consensus ADP, and I'll explain why that is. And in tomorrow's episode, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to touch on the wide receivers I have lower than consensus expert rankings, and I'll give the reasons for that. So today, receivers that I like, receivers that are likely going to end up on my teams because I have them higher than the experts do And I've already gone over Marquise Brown and Will Fuller. In my last episode, I discussed why I have Adam Thielen and Odell Beckham kind of at the top of this massive wide receiver pack. So the other wide receivers that I'm drafting above cost, meaning I like them a lot more than the market does, they include Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods, Calvin Ridley, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf, Scary Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark, and Tyler Boyd. So let me briefly touch on all of them. You know, the first player I want to hit on is Tyler Lockett. And I feel like I'm ranking this guy ahead of ADP every year. He's always underdrafted. And he always ends up being this huge bargain. And Lockett has finished wide receiver 15, wide receiver 17 in PPR points per game in the last two years. And he's a great talent in his prime with Russ Wilson at quarterback, super efficient in his higher career, yet he's still being drafted at wide receiver 19. And last season, Lockett, in his first 10 games... Average 17.68 points per game. That's wide receiver eight pace. And that was before he was hospitalized with a lower leg injury. And this was no ordinary injury, right? He was, I, I just said he was hospitalized. He After the game, he had to go. They were in San Francisco. 
It was an overtime game. He had to get transported to San Francisco, a hospital there, and he did not fly home with the team. The team flew home without him, and they made arrangements for him to fly back after he was evaluated by the doctors in that hospital. So this is a very severe leg injury, but a lot of people don't talk about it because he didn't miss any time. Like the Seahawks had their bye week after that, and Lockett ended up playing after that. But in the if you look at the contextualized game log in, at the bottom of my draft guide, you can see that his production after that, the three games after that San Francisco game where he got hurt, where he sustained the lower leg injury, Tyler Lockett in those three games combined for a total of 13 fantasy points in PPR. 13 total fantasy points. And I'm telling you, this guy's averaging 17.68 points per game. He combines for 13 fantasy points in three games. Nine targets, five catches in three games. 81 yards total in three games. Clearly the guy's playing hurt. And Lockett shines every year in reception. Perception, Matt Harmon's receiver metric. That charts wide receiver is getting open. He's got a nice floor because Lockett has such a big piece of the pie in this target share in this offense. Like it's only Lockett and DK Metcalf. Like that's it. You know, I don't think they're going to use Seattle. They're not going to use their running backs much in the passing game. They're not going to use their tight ends that much. Or Philip Dorsett, their third receiver. You know, it's mainly Lockett and Metcalf. And if the Seahawks let Mr. Unlimited, his name, his name's Mr. 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 Unlimited. you got to be unlimited. Russell Wilson cooked this season, and they stopped being so stubbornly run-heavy. Lockett could really hit like a huge ceiling this year. But overall, I rank him as top 10. He's my wide receiver 9, I believe, because, because we saw him play at wide receiver 8 pace in the 10 games before he was hospitalized last season, before he, when he was healthy. And then nothing has changed. So I'm not really sure why he's ranked receiver 19 on average. So yeah, I view Lockett, you know, several spots, receiver spots ahead of ADP. So the next guy I want to talk about is Robert Woods. And Robert Woods, so disrespected by the fantasy football community and basically all the rankings. And he's just so underdrafted and underappreciated that, like, I feel like, and I've talked about Robert Woods. I've talked about all this on the podcast. I feel like I've memorized this speech, and I'm, like, going up to random strangers on the streets and telling them why Robert Woods is a good pick for fantasy football this year and why he's being drafted way too late. But nevertheless, you know, his ADP has not moved. He's wide receiver 18, on average, the 18th wide receiver coming off the board in drafts, I have him at wide receiver 8, or maybe it's wide receiver 9, but it's like 10 spots ahead of ADP. And and let me just reel off a bunch of statistics and arguments for Robert Woods here. Matthew Barry, in his Top 100 Facts article, you know, the only player in the past two seasons with 150-plus catches and a drop rate of less than 1% is Robert Woods. Last season, Robert Woods was ninth among all receivers in in targets per game and yards per game. He was second in routes run per game, and he was the 12th best in fantasy on a points-per-game basis. And as of this writing, Robert Woods, ESPN ADP, is wide receiver 17. So great stuff by Matthew Berry there. Robert Woods had a very slow start 
He was wide receiver 22 in weeks one through eight last season. And I think that's what everybody remembers. There's always a stronger bias towards the beginnings of seasons when the expectations for your players are higher and they disappoint. There's always a stronger bias for that and stronger memory for the first half of the season and the second half when a lot of people do check out of the fantasy season just because maybe their seasons didn't go as well as planned and they don't really pay attention. But Robert Woods, maybe it was a too little, too late thing for him last year, but he finished extremely strongly last year. Robert Woods' final seven games, 19.24 points per game. That was wide receiver four pace. Wide receiver four pace behind Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, and Devontae Adams. That's it. Then Robert Woods in the final seven games of last season. Robert Woods drew 19% of the Rams' targets before the bye and 26.4% of their targets in the seven games after the bye, according to Matt Schaff of DraftSharks.com. He has been the wide receiver 13-8 and eight in expected points over the last two seasons, and no player had a larger expected touchdown differential per yardage gain than Robert Woods in 2019 per Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Analysis. And it is Sharp Football Analysis indeed to be buying Robert Woods this year. Robert Woods also due for positive touchdown regression. According to Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com, Robert Woods ranks among wide receivers last year. Targets 8th, catches 8th, yards 14th, touchdowns 74th. Hashtag regression alert. And that's not me saying that. That's the tweet. But either way, and Robert Woods is also in a great situation for the Rams. The Rams played at the fastest pace and threw at the highest rate in the NFL in negative game scripts last season. When the Rams were trailing, they were playing fast and they were throwing 84% of the time, according to Hayden Winks of rotoworld.com. The Rams have a terrible defense and no running game. So yeah, I... I love Robert Woods, and that's that's like the cool thing to do in the fantasy community of experts. Like all the experts are like, "Oh, buy Robert Woods. He's so undervalued, such a bargain." You know why is he so disrespected? And then they rank him like wide receiver sixteen instead of wide receiver eighteen. They're like, "Yeah, look at me. I'm ahead of consensus on on Robert Woods. Big freaking whoop." No, I have Robert Woods as a top 10 wide receiver. And I am thrilled to get Robert Woods in round four late if Mark Andrews is off the board. And because he's so super under the radar, if he makes it to round five and I can land him as my number one receiver, I am freaking out in my drafts. I am ecstatic. Like if I have spent three other picks on running backs, all of whom I feel like are going to be top 12 guys, and then have an elite tight end, and then Robert Woods is sitting there in round five, yeah, I mean, I... I mean, that is fantasy football ecstasy for me, honestly. And that happens. That's one of the reasons you can just go rapid fire at wide receivers in like rounds five through seven. I mean, these guys slip through the cracks. Robert Woods, wide receiver 18 on average, you know, could go in the fifth round. You can get him as wide receiver one. And then according to my board, he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver pick. So it's just a steal. And it's it's just another reason, as I say, all these wide receiver values, just another reason why you want to be going running back and elite tight end early. So the next player is Calvin Ridley. And it's just another player being drafted too low. I'm not as passionate about Calvin Ridley as I am with Robert Woods, but Ridley last year, 15.2 points per game in 13 games last year. Wide receiver 19 pace. 
and you're thinking to yourself, okay, he's wide receiver, he's wide receiver 16 ADP, you know, that's on par. That makes sense. I have him a few spots higher at wide receiver 12, and I think it's a pretty simple series of arguments with Calvin Ridley, like a pretty logical line of thinking. Ridley has a big role for an offense led by Matt Ryan. Good, so good quarterback, check. You know, Dirk Cotter, one of the most pass-happy offensive coordinators in the entire NFL, always top 10 in passing volume, Dirk Cotter is. And the Falcons led the NFL in pass attempts last season, more attempts than any other team. So volume and coordinator, check. And this is an offense that has the most available targets departed from last season. Muhammad Sanu is gone. Austin Hooper, tight end, is gone. Pass-catching running back Devonta Freeman is gone. Gurley did nothing in the pass-catching uh, department last season. They didn't replace Muhammad Sanu. They're trotting out like Russell Gage as their third wide receiver. And they did bring in Hayden Hurst, but he's a new tight end on a new team. So opportunity for Calvin Ridley, check for sure. And Ridley's numbers spiked toward the end of last season when Hooper was hurt and when Sanu was traded. In his final, his final four receiving lines with Hooper out, eight catches, 143, one touchdown, six catches, 85 yards, one touchdown on 14 targets. And then there's 10 targets, eight catches, 91 yards, no touchdowns. And then finally, five catches, five targets, 76 yards and a score. And it's worth noting that Julio was out for 1.5 of those games. Julio, get the stretch. But Calvin really scored in those his final four games last year, 28.3 points, 22 points, 17.1 points, and 18.6 PPR points in his final four games. So proven production albeit in a limited sample with this opportunity. Check. Calvin Ridley knows how to get open. He excelled in Matt Harmon's reception perception metric. He would ranked in the 90th percentile against man coverage. Great route runner. So check. The Falcons have no run defense, no running game we've seen, and they play 11 of their 16 games indoors this year. So game flow will be in Ridley's favor. This is Another check, and it's a recipe. It's all put together. It's a recipe for success. I don't think Ridley will have like a Chris Godwin-like season because Julio is clearly better. But if Julio does get hurt, Ridley could reach a top six ceiling. So let's move on to Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup finished as the wide receiver four last year, coming off a torn ACL. And he's going at wide receiver 20 on ESPN. Let me just repeat that. Let me say that again. Cooper Cup, coming off a torn ACL, finished as the wide receiver four last season. And he's going at receiver 20 on ESPN. What's changed? Except for the fact that he's one year more removed from his ACL tear. This guy finished as a top five wide receiver last year. And his ADP is receiver 20. I have Cooper Cup as receiver 13. And a lot of the same logic that applied to Robert Woods being criminally undervalued applies to Cooper Cup as well. Fast-paced offense, highest pass rate when trailing. The Rams have no defense, no running game. Cooper Cup has an established connection with Jared Goff and is featured in the red zone. And that's unlike Robert Woods. There's no more Brandon Cooks. And Cup was sensational in the early portion of last season, but kind of tailed off down the stretch. And I actually attribute that to being not fully recovered from his ACL tear. I think his legs got his, his legs or knees got tired. But I'm no doctor. You know, sometimes I wake up and I think that I'm actually too low on Cooper Cup having him at wide receiver 13, you know, seven receiver spots below his ADP. But the only reason that I don't have him higher 
is just because of the way he finished and maybe the Rams do want to feature their tight ends more. I'm not really sure. But but I do think that there's room to produce in this situation, even if Tyler Higby and the two tight end sets are here to stay. And Cooper Cup's also in a contract year as well. So got to like him. And he also is just kind of disrespected in drafts. He, he kind of slips through the cracks sometimes. The next receiver I have is much more flashy. And usually you do have to reach to get this guy because a lot of people are excited about his athletic potential in second year, or I should say his athletic prowess in his second year potential. And that is DK Metcalf. And he is listed as wide receiver 25 in ADP, which actually really surprises me because in the drafts I've done this season, he's gone higher, more like closer to like receiver 22, receiver 21. I have him at wide receiver 17, wide receiver 18 right now. And Metcalf, he wasn't as great from a fantasy perspective as people seem to recall last year, even in his final 11 games when he started seeing an every down roll. He was only wide receiver 26 pace, but he did shine in the playoff game against Philly. When he racked up like 130 yards, I think it was on eight catches and a touchdown. And he was such a physical freak. His size-speed combo is lethal. And that a lot of people are just kind of predicting a, a second-year breakout here. And he definitely has double-digit touchdown ability in this offense with the always-efficient Russ Wilson at quarterback. And if the Seahawks loosen the reins and start throwing more, like I mentioned for Lockett, that'll help unleash Metcalf and this offense in general. And I think Seattle is going to make Metcalf more of a focal point in the passing game this season and develop his game, whereas last year he was more of like a one- or two-trick pony. So Metcalf, he's definitely going to have some, he's definitely got a boomer bust vibe, both for the season and for a week-to-week basis. But the draft cost isn't substantial, right? He's going in like the sixth round of drafts. So, and you don't want to miss out on a potential explosion for DK Metcalf because he has the athletic ability to really just kind of take the league by storm. And and honestly, I'm extremely high on Tyler Lockett, but it wouldn't shock me if DK Metcalf finished by the end of next season as Seattle's number one receiver. You know, sometimes I think about having them push closer together. Like I have Lockett, I think at wide receiver nine or something like that. And I have DK Metcalf at wide receiver like 18. Sometimes I think they should be closer together. But either way, I would have both wide receivers for Seattle higher, much higher than where they're going in drafts. So the next one is Scary Terry McLaurin. And he's an expert darling. McLaurin is one of just nine receivers over the last decade to clear 900 yards and nine yards per target. And that puts him in elite company with Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, A.J. Green, A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, Julio Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, and D.K. Metcalf. And that's according to Elvin Silva of EstablishTheRun.com. And I guess that is another uh, stat that I could have used to prop up D.K. Metcalf, the receiver before McLaurin. But nevertheless, you know, and Evan Silva is not the only expert who believes in Terry McLaurin's talent. McLaurin was extremely efficient last year. And Matthew Harmon... Reception Perception, he believes that Terry McLaurin could be a star. Here we go! He said, I quote, 
76% success rate versus man coverage is the 89th percentile. And 79.7% success rate versus the press is 93rd percentile. And he is excellent across the route tree. I'm confident if everything comes together, Terry McLaurin can be a star. So rave reviews from the receiver expert Matthew Harmon. And other experts just love McLaurin as well. In fact, McLaurin's being drafted higher in the expert community in those mocks than he is in the fantasy football public. Analytics guys just can't speak enough about Terry McLaurin's rookie year. And last year, he had the highest grade among rookie wide receivers in pro football focus overall grade. And he was actually in pro football, in PFF rating, he was tied for sixth among all receivers in PFF grade. So extremely impressive rookie year. Obviously, he dealt with a crappy quarterback situation. I think that's the only reason people are down on McLaurin this year because of shaky quarterback play with Dwayne Haskins. McLaurin was better. He had better splits with Case Keenum at quarterback than Haskins last year. And Haskins will be the starter this year. Case Keenum is is no longer in Washington. But Dwayne Haskins played with Terry McLaurin. They played together at OSU. And Washington had a very tight leash on Dwayne Haskins last year in those seven starts, I think it was. They were very conservative with him. And and Haskins is going to have to lock on to McLaurin because not only is he just a great talent, but he's also just the only talent, right? Like the Washington death chart at wide receiver is just a barren wasteland behind scary Terry McLaurin. It is literally scary, the lack of receivers behind McLaurin on this team. And and there's no tight ends either. Only Logan Thomas is at tight end. So McLaurin could see 130, 140 targets. And this is a team that they want to run the ball, I'm sure, but they just lost Darius Geis. And even if they do, and even if they are run heavy, this is a team, Vegas has their over-under win total projected at like six games. So like Vegas sees them as like a 6-10 and 10 team, and they will, they will have to throw this year. And, and Washington head coach Ron Rivera compared McLaurin to D.J. Moore. And D.J. Moore had a breakout season in his second year with crap quarterback play. So there could be similarities there. I think Scary Terry can make a big jump this year. He, he is the ultimate I'm betting on talent over situation type of pick. And I have him at wide receiver 18 in his ADP. Uh, that is five spots lower than the ADP, and which is wide receiver 23. And this next player, DJ Chark, in 13 games. DJ Chark, this is before his foot or ankle injury, whatever it was. It was a lower leg injury. I'm, for, I'm blanking on what it was. But in 13 games before that injury that he tried to play through, which kind of hurt his production down the stretch and kind of crippled his PPG, his points per game metrics. But in 13 games prior to that injury, he, Chark was averaging 16.5 points per game. That's wide receiver nine pace. Top 10 wide receiver before that injury in 13 games, right behind Cooper Cup in points per game last year. And every day, I want to rank DJ Chark higher and higher because Jay Gruden, their new offensive coordinator in Jacksonville, extremely pass happy. The Jaguars win total by Vegas. I've already mentioned this uh, when I was talking about Chris Thompson earlier. 4.5 wins Vegas projects the Jaguars to have. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the league, like in contention for the number one overall draft pick next year. 
And the Jaguars are going to be throwing like 40 times a game, it seems like. And Chark is by far the best receiving option on this team. He has great size and speed combo, great athletic profile. And Jay Gruden has talked up Chark all offseason. Talked about moving him around all over the formation into the slot. He's going to be the centerpiece of this passing game, which should receive, again, a ton of volume. And right now, I have Chark at receiver 22, and I feel like that is way too low. He's going at receiver 26, so I want to be higher and put my readers in position to draft DJ Chark, but I think I'm going to end up moving Chark ahead of DK Metcalf, ahead of Terry McLaurin, sooner than later. Because again, I want, you know, I'm not afraid to reach for Chark like, uh, you know, around above ADP because Chark is just kind of rising on my board. And the last player I want to talk about today, again, these are all wide receivers that I have higher than ADP, higher than expert consensus rankings. And that is Tyler Boyd. And Tyler Boyd, wide receiver 23 pace last year, 14.58 points per game in 13 games with Andy Dalton. I excluded the three games with Ryan Finley from his sample because I don't think that's a fair comparison here. He's only getting a quarterback upgrade, so I get, I don't think the games with Ryan Finley really apply. But wide receiver 23 pace, nothing to really you know write home about, but it's a pretty solid season, and that actually makes two years in a row of top 24 production from Tyler Boyd. And Boyd is going outside of the top 24. His ADP is closer to like wide receiver 28. And I think that people are fading Tyler Boyd because he's just kind of an underrated talent. He's not a game breaker or anything like that. He's not going to win you your league, but he is going to be probably a weekly flex option in PPR formats. And I think a lot of people are down on him because AJ Green is back. But but recall that Tyler Boyd produced great numbers. He was a top 16 wide receiver in eight games with AJ Green two years ago. And A.J. Green, you know, he's getting older. He's dealt with injuries in the last two years. He's already hurt in camp. And the rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, who has an aggressive playing style, which is great for his pass catchers, Joe Burrow has taken a liking to Tyler Boyd. I mean, the rave reviews of their training camp, how they've established a rapport. And Burrow loved that slot receiver and Justin Jefferson that he had last season. Justin Jefferson scored 19 touchdowns for the LSU Tigers last year. And I think... So I think the connection really makes a lot of sense because Tyler Boyd is going to be featured in the slot, and I think he's going to be Joe Burrow's kind of safety blanket, his security blanket there. And the Bengals have a pass-first mentality with Zach Taylor, who comes over from Sean McVay's coaching tree, and the game flow should be in their favor as well because they're a losing team. So Boyd is somebody who tends to slide in drafts. And he's a nice PPR asset, although I usually take Marquise Brown or Will Fuller over Tyler Boyd. So I think I only ended up with Boyd on like one of my teams. He's kind of, I see Boyd as kind of like a consolation prize if Marquise Brown and Will Fuller are off the board. Whereas the other players I mentioned, like DJ Chark and, and DK Metcalf, Scary Terry, Calvin Ridley, Robert Woods, T- Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, all those guys I take ahead of of Marquise Brown and Will Fuller because I know I can get Will Fuller and Marquise Brown in rounds like six through seven. So I'm trying to maximize the value here, maximize these picks. I'm trying to get as many of these wide receivers on my team as I can because I started running back heavy early. I started with an elite tight end. So if I can get one or two of these wide receivers we talked about today and then get Will Fuller or Marquise Brown, 
or both, then I feel like I am really set up well at the position despite wait, waiting on wide receivers and kind of stacking my running backs and taking that elite tight end early. Like if I can still end up with, you know, a Robert Woods as my one and then a DK Metcalf as my two and then a Marquise Brown or Will Fuller as my three, like I am just on cloud nine. But more realistically, if Robert Woods is gone, you know, by round four or five, if I end up with, you know, maybe Calvin Ridley or DK Metcalf or Scary Terry as my wide receiver one, and then I can maybe get Will Fuller and or Marquise Brown as my wide receiver two and three, or if I miss out on them and end up with Tyler Boyd as my wide receiver three, I mean, either way, I feel very confident about my wide receivers, and that's after I've already taken, you know, three running backs that I've already feel are going to be top 12 running backs in rounds one through four, and then already an elite tight end, whether it's George Kittle or Mark Andrews, or maybe an elite quarterback uh, like Pat Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. So, so yeah, I love all these receivers, and it's one of the reasons, you know, they're falling so late in drafts, they're so affordable, and it's one of the main reasons why I think you can't afford to stack the other more important positions early and wait on receiver because you can still end up with wide receivers that I'm very high on, very confident on, and that's why my draft board is the way that it is. Okay, so I think I have said it all about wide receivers that I am targeting in the mid-rounds. Next episode, I'm going to focus on wide receivers that I'm kind of fading. And it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily not taking them in drafts, but wide receivers that you know are going in like rounds three or four, they're just going a little too high, and I'm a little lower than them on ADP. So I'm going to talk about why that is, and there's some really big names in there. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And my 2020 draft board and strategy guide is published on fantasylawguide.com. This is an extremely popular week for fantasy football drafts. This is a huge week for drafts. So you want to check out my draft guide on fantasylawguide.com. Just click on the left side of the page. It's a massive PDF. It will surely, round by round strategy, will surely help you in your fantasy drafts, help you prepare And it is way different than all the rankings that you will see online. So make sure that you check it out before your draft so you do not draft the next Leonard Fournette. And you will have the knowledge and preparation to avoid players who will bust this season. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button, give this podcast a five-star rating, tell all your friends. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you.